Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Jim McGillifrey and Jim Freeman were two young Southern California filmmakers who entered the surf film world in the 1960s. By 1972, they were already celebrated for producing gold standard surf films. Five Summer Stories originated as their farewell to surfing, who were by this time being courted by Hollywood to leave the surf film world for other creative work. They handpicked great sequences that they hadn't yet used, secured legendary cinematographer Bud Brown for new material, and wove all of the elements together in a series of compelling, funny, and exciting stories. They topped it all off with original music from the group Honk and classic songs from the Beach Boys. Five Summer Stories became a phenomena, the most popular surf film of all time, and in the minds of many, the greatest surf film of all time. We're joined today by the co-director of Five Summer Stories, Greg McGillifrey. Greg, welcome back to Film School Radio. Thank you very much. When you reflect on that period of time, now we're going back to 1972, so we're 50 years later, what are the things that jump out to you about the um, buzz around the film? Well, you know, the, the thing that's fun 50 years reflecting on is where the world and where surfing has come in those 50 years. You see what was happening way back in 72, you feel it through the music of the Beach Boys and Honk. And you, you, you think about both the health of the ocean, but also the health of commercial, the commercial side of surfing um, and, and where that was going to lead us. And today, I think all of those things are at a better place mm-hmm. than where we were 50 years ago. And you can't say that for very many things in life. As they, as they grow older, maybe they don't get quite as good. The, these things got better. And now we've got a consciousness about ocean's health and keeping pollution out of the ocean. Yeah. Uh, in fact, even this year, we're going to have, uh, uh, we're going to vote in California on a single-use plastic ban, which is a really critical thing because so much of that plastic gets into our streams lakes and streams and then washes out into the ocean and has created almost a, an island called the Pacific Gyre, the Pacific Plastic Gyre, that floats out there and creates, breaks down into little teeny microscopic particles that fish and birds eat. And then we eventually get into our system. And scientists have now told us that we actually, each one of us have a credit card's worth of plastic in our bodies without even knowing it. Uh, and that can't be good for us. No, no. <laughs> well, thank goodness for Captain Moore and his work and in, 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 oh, in discovering oh. the, uh, the Geyer and the work he's oh, done. That and, and you know, but you've got to create, you know, a, a, a problem solving from the source. You know, there's going to be a lot of opposition to this, this battle in November because the plastic industry is going to fight like heck to make sure they continue their big profits. But it's just not fair to the planet 
or to us to be eating plastic all the time. You look at what happened that back then where we were completely naive to all these things, and now we understand it. We're actually making the ocean healthier day by day with new laws. But right back then, you know, it was the beginning of Earth Day, uh, the whole Earth catalog. Hippies and surfers were campaigning for cleaner water, cleaner air. Um, you know, there were 28 bills passed by Congress, including the Clean Water Act, the Clean Air Act, and establishing the EPA, the Environmental Protection Agency. All of those things that Nixon signed into law because he was fearful of surfers and hippies, those things still exist today and are the bedrock of lawsuits that you can file on to save your community from polluters yeah. or to save your nation from polluters. Yeah. And so it's it was really a critical time back in 1972. Did you have a sense of that part of what, what the film was about that was impacting the things you're describing? Did you feel that back then? We, we did. In fact, you know, there are sequences in the film that are about, you know, the, the marriage of, of, of man and ocean and that the, the importance of the purity of, of the water and, and ecological concerns. It was really a, a conservation movie, the, the first conservation movie that I made. And, you know, and that's been my life. The last 50 years has been making conservation films. I love this planet. I love the natural world. My job as a filmmaker has been to try to get other people to fall in love with nature as much as I. Once they love it, they'll want to work hard to save it. And that's true with national parks. That's true with land, sea, air, mountains, trees, everything that's natural. Um, we've got a consciousness now that we didn't have 50 years ago. I'll inject a little personal note here. As someone who was an inlander who came to appreciate the uh, the world of surfing through friends and went out and I tried it and I was not that good. and But I fell in love with the ocean. And I have had, for the last 45 years, I've been within sight of the ocean in every place I've lived along the coast. And this has been, for me, the preeminent, my my main priority is to be able to be that close to the ocean as much as possible. And that love of the ocean that you're describing is, it's personal to me as well. When you and Jim Freeman were, you had done a couple of surf movies before Five Summer Stories. As you're putting together Five Summer Stories, which by the way, is being re-released, you can see it uh, in uh, theaters, you can see it in a lot of different ways. We'll get into that in a minute. But as you're beginning to assemble the film, you're working with local artists, Beth and Steve and others through Honk, which I also saw in concert. That's so funny. All many, so many things about this film struck a chord with me. Did you have a sense that this was about to explode in the way it did? Because it was a phenomenon. It was an absolute, it broke barriers for what was considered a very niche sort of uh, part of the cinema world. It really broke a lot of barriers. But did you have a sense as you were putting it together that you, you, this is something that was about to explode for you? No, we didn't. <laughs> okay. That was the fun thing is Jim and I were making, Jim Freeman and I were making this transition from doing surfing documentaries 
And we'd started, you know, four or five years earlier doing other kinds of films as well, which led us to a lot of assignments by Hollywood studios and, and producers to hire us for various challenges. Our photography was really our strong part. And, and so I was a really good water cameraman. Jim was a fantastic aerial cameraman. So we were in the middle of a transition and we wanted to make one final goodbye song to surfing. And, and so we were looking at it as kind of a smallish film. Mm. And I selected the story of five summer stories so that we could make it in pieces. You know, between projects in Hollywood, we could, we could work on each, each story. When it came out, because of the strength of the music, and you mentioned you know, Steve and Beth and the rest of Hawk members who were just uh, initiated into the walk of fame and of surfing in, in Huntington just a couple of days ago. I saw that. Um, and the Beach Boys who saw that our film was being made and knew about our projects. They'd come to our films in the past and, and they called us up and said, we want to be part of that film if you think we're good enough. And I said, oh, you know, I love your music, especially your new music. And they just put out this album that had achieved stellar quality of recording and instrumentation that no one else had gone close to. Uh, even the Beatles looked at the, the album Surf's Up and said, well, we, we never did anything that, that amazing. What happened is they said, use whatever you want new music old music will help you get all of the rights to it you can do it for free we just want to be associated with you because we believe in what you're doing and so for me you know with working with the beach boys music and the music of honk this rising band from laguna beach which was brand new and four guys and then six people um, later on you end up with this freshness of spirit and this change that reflected the times that we were in politically, also the times that we were in with the surfing world in a way that was new. And for Jim, Jim and I, because we were just making this small film that we wanted to say goodbye to surfing and to give surfers a treat, we didn't expect it to answer your question in a long way. We didn't expect it to do what it did. We expected to break even. And it was the most expensive surfing film that we or anyone had ever done. It cost us $72,000. And back then, that was like 720000 today. Well, you couldn't spend that kind of money on a surf film today. You'd, you'd lose your shirt. And back then, we expected to. We expected, okay, we'll probably break even, maybe. If everything goes right, we'll break even. And we really knew that industry. We knew the potential yeah. of the industry. We'd already released a number of films. And and we were really good at the business side of it, but it turned out to be uh, a 10 times bigger project than we ever expected because the public came out in droves. Once the first screenings, the word of mouth traveled around the country. Yeah. And it wasn't just surfers talking about it. I mean, Rolling Stone uh, and, and Eve Babbitts, the writer for Rolling Stone, wrote a wonderful article, it was three pages long, in, in that magazine, telling the story of this film. For her, it was a phenomenon. And it was for anyone that was saw it. 
partly because of the music and we, we used reproduction techniques that had never been done before in terms of what was in the theater. We brought in our own speakers, these gigantic rock and roll speakers, gigantic amplifiers, and essentially gave the kids who were in the audience a treat of sound and power that they'd never experienced before. Films didn't have that kind of sound reproduction back then. I will tell you that I think for a lot of people who weren't living on the coast or weren't familiar with surfing, it was a kind of a cartoonish thing to them, right? Gidget movies, guys walk, walking around, hold, five guys holding onto a surfboard and, you know, <laughs> running up and down the beach. Kind of a goofy kind of a thing that surfing was fun and there were pretty blonde girls in bikinis. But in this film, you see George Lopez, you see a array of the best surfers in the world surfing some insanely dangerous waves, watching the artistry, watching the talent involved. It's it's breathtaking to watch them take off at Pipeline in, in any number of places we see in the film. It's nuts. And how could you walk out of that film and not want to tell somebody what you saw? It's And then the music. You hear the Beach Boys don't go near the water. All the beautiful, as you mentioned, Surf's Up is one of those masterpieces that I don't think the Beach Boys have gotten the credit for. Everybody, you know, refers to, you know, other like um, Pet Sounds. But this is a beautiful record. And Honk. It's, I mean, there's so much about the film that's fun. But again, for most people who saw it, this was surfing in a way that they just could not help but be drawn to. That's how I mean. It's true. And and that kind of took us by complete surprise, you know, as, as to answer your, your question. Yeah. And, and so what we did is we released it, you know, in our March through May schedule. Yeah. And then rebooked it with a rerun in the in the summer months. And then and then rebooked it again the next year and expecting, okay, that'll be it. But the audience members wrote us, you know, they, they would accost us on the beach. You know, you've got to release it again. You've got to do that. You know, we want to see it again. And we kept really re-releasing it every year for the next five years or actually seven years through 79. Like I said, it, produced probably 10 times the audience that we expected. That was a time where surfing movies were undergoing this almost a tragic change and yeah. renaissance where video cassettes were coming out in 78, 79, 80. And it, and it killed the surfing movie. Video cassettes made the demise of the surfing movie as it was, which right. was a, the surfing movies were cultural events. Yeah. They were. When, we, when surfers had no other cultural events except for maybe a contest, but that was a rare thing too. That was a once a year thing. And I also think the magazine, the surfer magazines were coming into their own as well. The color photography, the, the there was yeah. a lot that kind of blew up around this time, right? Is that fair? Well, yeah. And the, the enthusiasm uh, for surfing with all of these popular things. And then of course the sportswear industry yeah. which came in and really finally brought some money into surfing. Yeah. Um, and that was well after Five Summer Stories. But but that allowed surfers to profit from their notoriety and their skill yes. set. Yeah. Um, and that was wonderful. I mean, 
joyous. And Quicksilver was one of the first to really show what could happen with, with uh, you know, surf teams and, and uh, you know, people like Lisa Anderson and-, and Great to see women in the film. Great yeah. to see women surfers. I didn't really, honestly, I didn't know that about that uh, as much. And you see, the plus the film also, the first sort of introduction of action sports. I mean, the film opens, we've got the, the, the hang gliding, skateboarding. You've got a lot of things that were presage for the world that we now live in. And it really feels like yeah, there was a lot of yeah. that. You know, yeah, I tried to, with, with the, the sequence, with the story connections, yeah, uh, and the beautiful Beach Boys song "Sail on Sailor." Yeah, tried to give the feeling of, you know, the connections of those free rides of nature. You know, whether yeah. skiing or surfing or snowboarding or skateboarding. You know, like you said, all of the, the things that kids can do for no money. Exactly. You know, and it was the beautiful thing about going out to surf. It didn't yeah. cost you anything. You had you needed a board. And even yeah. then you could, you could body surf. <laughs> Mother nature was producing this amusement park right in front of you. Yeah. Right. And also you needed to go out and do it. That's the beauty. You know, and it, it still is what connects our tribe of surfers together. That um, love of waiting for the waves to come, sharing in the joy that they did come and sharing in your reaction to the ride that you just got. It's such a rare thing to get yeah. great wave. Yeah, it you is. Know, like finding a gem in the in the in the rough. You know, and it it's uh you you're you're always it's like a golfer, you know, getting a hole in one. You know, it's gonna drive you back to the the golf course over and over and over and over. You probably won't do it do that again for the next five years. But it's what drives you to keep coming back and yeah. you know it's always needed that that center to drive us to the ocean because oftentimes it's not not pleasant not comfortable it can be cold it can be um can be yeah. miserable it can be windy you know and just uncomfortable and a little bit dangerous too oh dangerous to be honest I mean, it's da there's a yeah it's yeah. part of that i want to let people know they can go to five summerstories.com Five spelled out F I V E, five summerstories.com. Find out. I'm looking at a whole bunch of screenings that are coming up. They're right around the corner. So you need to check it out. But one last thing about that and the relationship between the surfing community and nature and water. A lot of those guys that I grew up with and surfed with stayed out there a lot longer than I did. And a lot of them came back with some pretty serious illnesses due to the fact that they were downstream from. Santa Ana River jetty, which was spewing out a bunch of toxic material or just stuff that was coming in after a, a rain uh, event that was spilling out. All that sludge was getting out of the water. I knew a lot of guys who got pretty sick and got viruses and all kinds of things. They were kind of the canary in the coal mine as far as our ocean health is concerned. So I want to at least, you know, acknowledge that what a lot of guys and women uh, went through in the love of surfing that they didn't know was going to happen to them. Right. So true. And thankfully, today we have ocean monitoring system where the guy comes down here to our beach once a week, yeah. takes a bottle, takes it back to the laboratory and analyzes it. And then your beach gets a rating for, for cleanliness. And yeah. 
thankfully, Laguna Beach has the, the cleanest water on the coast because we recycle all of our street runoff. Yeah. We actually trap it before it yeah. gets to the ocean, yeah. send it to the sewer processing plant before it gets pumped out. But and then right, right down the road, Dana Point wasn't so good. So oh, hopefully they got terrible. Better. Yeah. Doheny, terrible. Yeah, Doheny, terrible. <laughs> so what, like they were the worst beach along the coast sometimes. Yeah. yeah. So they were getting Fs where Laguna was getting an A. Yeah. It matters. Infrastructure matters. All of these oh, things matter. Yeah. Consciousness is really yes. where it comes. And people will do the right thing if they're shown a way out, shown yeah. a way to the better better spot. Can't cost them a ton, yeah. <laughs> but, but they'll they'll figure it out. The upfront costs are much, much better than what you're going to end up paying in terms of cleaning up and help people's health and all the rest of it. Yeah. Take care of it up front and you'll 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 be a better. One one last observation for you, Greg McGillifrey, before I left, let you go, and that is, is it fair to say that Five Summer Stories has been kind of the fundamental building block of what we now know as your wonderful enterprise? By the way, I want to let people know, McGillifrey uh, Films is amazing, all kinds of beautiful ecological nature of films, uh, IMAX, you're world-renowned for your work in IMAX. But did Five Summer Stories, did it help you bridge into this world that you now make films in? It really did. It Because it was really um, our chance to reflect on the environment in a, in a way that was constructive, to basically teach kids and adults the importance of the ocean, keeping it clean, keeping it without pollutants, without plastic, without evil runoff like you were talking about. The consciousness about the air and the and the and the land too, um, and and that's been my career is conservation films. You know, showing people my love for for nature, so that then they can feel that love. And then once they feel the love, responsibility that we as stewards have, then they fight to protect. It. Um, you've got to get them to love something, and you can do that through IMAX. IMAX films are so powerful and visual that they, they can get people to change their minds or attitudes. Your outfit is called McGillifrey Freeman Films, and it is located in Laguna Beach, as I as I know. Yeah. <laughs> and it, you can go to macfreefilms.com to find out more about your work. And again, including some just remarkable work that you've been doing for many, many years. And if you've seen an IMAX movie, in all likelihood, Greg had something to do with it. It's uh, especially in the world of nature and uh, and and water. Um, so, my congratulations to you for Five Summer Stories, you and Jim, but also for your continuing work and uh, passion for your work. Thank you, Greg McGillifrey. I I love it. Thank you so much for the interview. You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio. Film School Radio.